Hey, it's me again. It's Jefferson White with a very special episode of the official Yellowstone podcast presented by Win Las Vegas. I woke up this morning extremely excited about today's show. You know, I didn't expect to get much sleep last night because I was so excited. However, the beds here, extremely comfortable. They have these very, very fancy shades that uh, sort of block out all of the light of the strip. So I slept like a baby uh, and I'm very grateful because this is a, a huge, huge day for me. Today, I get to sit down with the brains behind the entire world of Yellowstone. You've heard this man's name over and over again. If you've been listening to this podcast, if you've ever had a chance to to talk to the cast of Yellowstone, you hear the name Taylor Sheridan over and over and over again. Because honestly, this whole thing, this whole show, this whole universe, this whole world uh, comes from Taylor. Taylor is the mastermind, the genius the brilliant creator, writer, director, cowboy, <laughs> kind of the, the maestro behind Yellowstone. Uh, he's also my boss. He gave me the best job I've ever had in my life. He's been my boss for years now, so you can imagine how nervous I am to sit down and talk with uh, with my boss, to interview my own boss. So, you know, pray for me, wish me luck. I'm also going to be spending time with the superstar executive producer of the Yellowstone world, David Glasser another man without whom uh, none of this would be possible. I owe the best job of my life to these two guys, Taylor Sheridan and David Glasser, and I I can't thank them enough. We're going to dive right in right after this. CBS Friday and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Fire's coming to you! Don't miss TV's hottest show, Fire Country. This is a high-complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules, and you shave another day off your sentence. Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment. I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else. You're not an inmate. You're a firefighter. Bring it on. Fire Country. New episode Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS, and now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I feel incredibly honored, incredibly lucky uh, to have with us in the studio today the the busiest man in Hollywood who never sets foot in Hollywood, Uh, a guy who I I think his work is honestly characterized by uh, staying too busy to to talk about it much. So Taylor Sheridan, the creator of Yellowstone, the creator of 1883, mayor of Kingstown, uh, and many, many many, many more facets of a vast empire. Thank you so, so, so much for being here today. How'd you get this job? Uh, great question. I thought I was actually going to ask you that question, boss. Why, why, how did I get this job? <laughs> I said, who's doing the podcast? They said, Jefferson. And I said, who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Eric they said, said, Jimmy. And I said, oh, oh Jimmy? Yeah. The fuck did Jimmy get a podcast you have your own podcast yeah that's right i was talking to eric nelson the other day and he said we should send a picture of us to taylor and i said he's he's not gonna recognize me (laughs) that's a busy man hey so you were in you were in fort worth a week ago for the the celebrity cutting for the charity the cancer charity that's right which they do every year which you won two years in a row now that's right well the, the trick is that i won when uh this year I won because you weren't riding and Nick wasn't riding, and Nick won the year that I didn't ride. So this year I lucked out. <laughs> no, you got a buckle two years in a row. Yeah, till twenty nineteen and twenty twenty one, and Nick won in between. Because <laughs> you were busy, uh, you were busy making maybe the the biggest television show in, in history. Well, I, you know, the, the maybe the most expensive. How does it, this is, I, I've seen the first two episodes of 1883, and the thing that I think that you do that, that nobody else can do is, is hold these two seemingly contradictory things at the same time, which is the, the myth of the West, the legend 
of the West and the the brutal truth of the West sort of hand in hand. That's something that to me characterizes Yellowstone and very much characterizes 1883. There's the myth and there's the reality, like nobody else can do it. Will you talk just a little bit about those two extremes, the romantic idea of the West and the brutal truth of the West? Well, the the romance everyone understands. Um, We were taught it in schools. Uh, We've seen it in movies and TVs since movies and TV shows were made. Um, And there is a romance to it. There's a a romantic notion to going somewhere new uh, and and discovering some new place that holds this this hopeful utopia. Uh, The reality is there were other people already living there um, that that really didn't want anyone else to come there because they were there and they'd been pushed there. So. You know, if you're really going to, and then that doesn't mean that there weren't heroes that went west. That doesn't mean there weren't heroes that defied those who went west. Um, but to really understand our history, you have to be willing to look at all of it and not blanketly say, this whole group over here were victimized, this whole group over here were oppressors. It's just not true. There were, there were extremely desperate poor people in Central Europe and Eastern Europe uh, and in the United States that were sold a lie that this land was open and free, and they were desperate uh, and and sought it. So they 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 bought the lie, um, and then they went west. And by the time they realized it was not the truth, there was no turning back. And I feel like this that that contradiction is is very present in characters in 1883. So there's Sam Elliott's character Shay, who has seen who has confronted this terrible truth to a certain extent and kind of carries it with him everywhere he goes. It feels like it haunts him. And then there's Isabel's character who is so new to this world and sees it as that romantic idea. And then it feels to a certain extent as though the show is the process of her learning the terrible truth. It's this this slow process of being confronted with the brutal reality of what it takes to make that dream come true. Yeah, uh, yeah, to a to a degree, yes, a hundred percent, and and she learns a lot more. Uh, it's really it was it was very interesting to tell the story of moving into an unknown place through the coming of age of a young woman, uh, and and getting to, you know, the further west you go, the there is no rule of law, so all of the social convictions and moral codes and customs that help keep us in line don't exist. And what happens when that happens? Uh, incredibly beautiful things happen and horrific things happen. In Yellowstone, you have a group that is attempting to hold on to a code uh, that they've lived by for a long time as other people without a code come in, or at least without their code. So uh, they have similarities. I wonder if you picked up on any of the subliminal connections between the two. I, I'm fascinated to, to keep uncovering those. And I feel like thematically... I see these these sort of themes throughout a lot of your work, right? There's like the narrative, like the, the contradictory and conflicting narratives to a certain extent. And and yeah, that that confrontation between narrative and reality. And I think as you articulated a minute ago, the incompatibility of um, <laughs> well-meaning people 
with codes that they truly believe in and and seek to honor. You can have good people really trying their best to protect their families, and those those can come into conflict with each other and be mutually exclusive to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's amazing. I mean, just embodied also those contradictions, you know, not to sort of obviously be a sort of dollar store or dramaturg here, but, but the sort of Sam Elliott is theoretically to John Dutton, this sort of world weary soldier who has sort of seen this code be tested and sort of fail has fought through its failure many times yeah, and he's, become he's exhausted lost with everything it. he fought for. So what do you fight for when you've lost everything? And I guess, yeah, then, then being presented with this new hope to a certain extent in, in the eyes of young people, of people who haven't had the same sort of, you know, traumatic experiences over and over again over the course of a, a long and painful life. And I especially, then there's this, this middle generation in 1883 that I, it maybe sort of lines up with Casey's journey in Yellowstone to a certain extent. So, so James Dutton's experience in 1883 of having lived one life, having seen terrible things, but still having enough left to try for something better, to try to sort of escape the cycle of violence that he was exposed to in the Civil War and to seek, you know, freedom from that cycle. Yeah. His, his venture West is a complete rejection of the society that he lived in. It's a refusal to, to even be a part of it anymore. So he went to a place society doesn't exist. Mm. And that, that's fascinating then also sort of embodied in the contradiction between uh, his wife's character, obviously Margaret Dutton, and her sister, who have these sort of different relationships to that society, right? Different ideas, 100%. different carryovers from that society of how a woman is supposed to be, of, of what, what her role ought to be in society. And then how, you know, how Isabel May's character sort of is also coming into conflict with that and sort of figuring out for herself what her role can be here versus what it was in the life she knew before. A hundred percent. No, she's going to a place to where all of the restrictions that existed to control everyone, to control women, uh, to control people who didn't own land, to control people who weren't in power, they don't exist. And you get to decide, uh, you get to decide who you are and how you live and no rule controls you. The flip side of that coin is, no rule controls anyone else out there too. So long time ago, million years ago, whenever, three million years ago, there were no rules. People took what they wanted to take when they wanted it. If they were strong enough to do it, they got it. If they weren't, they lost it. And, and as society grew, as people stopped running around and chasing food and started growing it more, we all had to live together in this place. And we had to figure out rules of some form, right? Now, some people figuring out rules, figured out rules to control others to get more stuff. Some figured out rules to try and make this little tribe work better. And it's been the same throughout history and it's not unique to the United States or Europe or Asia or Africa or South America. It is human nature and it exists anywhere we go. If we go to Mars and someone sets up a village in Mars, they better make some rules or somebody who doesn't respect rules, and that person's still gonna cause problems, but now at least we have rules 
to control them. Or maybe someone's going to go to Mars and set up a lot of rules to make sure he's the king of Mars. That, that theme feels like it's present through all of your work, effectively. That idea of codes, rules, trying to establish a system, whether it be through a state institution, you know, whether it be through like actual legal pathways or a kind of paralegal system code, uh, you know, in the case of of the characters of Mayor of Kingstown or of of the Duttons, obviously their code is sort of legal adjacent, but obviously also breaks the law consistently. That that feels like a theme that sort of resonates throughout all of your work. To me, it's the most important theme, and we have not mastered it, right? The rule of law and the laws of nature. We're bound by the laws of nature. There's nothing we can do about that. So we've created a rule of law to govern ourselves. And you're seeing right now an erosion in the rule of law in this country. And as a result of that, you are seeing the laws of nature play out. And the the sort of simultaneous, as you articulated earlier, the beauty and possibility of freedom, the sort of uh, ideal, the kind of paradise that freedom can represent, and the, the hell that freedom can represent, the sort of brutal reality, the, the most brutal truth. And especially in the, the very first moments of 1883, the whole the way the whole series is framed, I think, is fascinating. In the the intro, the, the the first sequence, she describes it as hell. She describes this west, this wild place, this place outside of the parameters of polite society as hell. And then the next time we see her, it's heaven. It's heaven, exactly. Yeah. And that's and that's look, we're in Las Vegas. Okay, someone right out there right now just won hundreds of thousands of dollars and he thinks this this is the greatest place on earth two craps tables over someone just lost their mortgage he thinks this is the worst place on earth what's different the way they interacted with it that's it mm. so as you seek as you see and i don't know if gambling is the best metaphor <laughs> for that right because we're adding a certain element of luck but there's a lot of luck to life there's a lot of luck to life mm. now you make a lot of really bad choices, you're gonna find yourself usually having bad luck. You make a lot of good choices, you're gonna find yourself having a lot more good luck, right? Mm -hmm. But we all know pretty bad people who've gotten real lucky, and I know some really good people who've been really unlucky. Mm. As you, so as, as Why you- Why is this so deep, Jimmy? I thought we were gonna talk about like <laughs> the horses. And well, this is the thing, this is the thing that I think, I think is, is incredibly unique to you. There's a lot about the way that you write that I don't think anybody else does. And I think that that is in part what I respond to in your writing. It feels like there's an unflinching honesty and an unflinching willingness to confront some of the ugliest and most hideous contradictions of life, of, of like life at its sort of, at its most fundamental, you know? Um, and then also on the other side of that, what's amazing is you also have the the incredible ability to uh, write fun, captivating, exciting, beautiful things. And I, I think that's a very difficult thing. So I guess I'm curious, also as you seek to make these things, as you in your life, the myth of your life, the narrative of your life, as you continue to explore that and live it out, sort of, will you talk to me about the, the experience of, of reconciling your your work your work sort of staring into the abyss, as it were, 
with your work staring into Eden, staring into paradise? Is there a question in there? <laughs> barely, barely, boss. What the fuck was that? I know. Listen, I, I, you got me trying to sound smart. Um, <laughs> listen, on, on Yellowstone, John Dutton is exploring a lot of different options to sort of economically save the ranch. And I look at you as a, as a man who is a, an advocate for the Western world, is a sort of diplomat on behalf of the Western world to a certain extent and explores a, a lot of different avenues to continue to economically reinvigorate the Western world. Will you talk about some projects that you're working on that you're excited about? Um, well, this is this, this beast right here has kind of consumed me for the past nine months. Um, so I don't, beyond this, I don't... I, I don't know what project's next. I haven't seen my mail, in, you know, since April. Um, but, but you know, I try to be an advocate for for the West. I grew up in it. Uh, it's an it's an incredible place, and it's changing like everything changes. Um, but we try to control the change. We try to mitigate the change. You live in New York, which is a great city, uh, and 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 it's frustrating though to watch Manhattan become because I lived in New York when, in the 90s, uh, to watch Manhattan become this theme park of itself to a certain degree with these massive expensive department stores in, in all the neighborhoods. Last time I was there, it's been a few years, but all the mom and pop, oh, this great little diner over here and this little cafe here and this place, they're all gone because they can't afford the rent. Um, no one could say that, well, they can't say it right now, but prior to COVID, they could say, well, the crimes, there's no crime in it's so clean. It's so great. And there's so many great restaurants that no one can afford to go to. And there's no, and there's, but the city, it's not the city that we all grew up to. The city, we all in my youth, when I was there in my early twenties and you're there now, it's in Brooklyn. It's, it's migrated, right? Um, well, the, the West can't migrate. You, you build these places up, then that's what they are. Right. Um, and whether we like it or not, we got to get our food from somewhere. And every empire falls when they start importing it. When you do not control your own food source, you are no longer an empire. You are buying your food from the next empire. Mm. Speaking of empires, right? The, the, the sort of horse world and the horse training sort of legacy, history, tradition, culture. Will you talk a little bit about that? That's something that's been increasingly explored in Yellowstone season four, as John Dutton and the Yellowstone sort of get into that game. Will you talk about your own experience in that world? Well, I, I grew up in it and, and it's, and it, it was a dying, it was dying after the, the recession of 2008, because the performance horse world, it's a luxury. Now there's people who make a living doing it. And you've met a lot of them, whether they're horse breeders or horse trainers or veterinarians who, who work in the performance horse world that are specialists, like basically sports medicine doctors for horses. Uh, but it's a luxury to own one and go show it on the weekend, not unlike people who own racehorses, right? It's the, it's the racehorse trainer's job. It's the jockey's job. It's the exerciser's job and the groomer's job, but it's not the owner's job. Owner owns some big stinking company somewhere, right? And if the stock market crashes, he may have to sell his racehorse. And so will all the others. But what, and the same thing is true in cutting or reining or cow horse. But what happens is when that business isn't thriving and it starts to restrict the horses that get bred 
and the babies that you have, you start to see the quality of horse across the country dip because people are not as invigorated to explore as they're breeding these animals and making more horses. The more people who are in the horse business, the more horses you need, the more horses are bred not to the same horse. And the hybrid vigor of that makes a better horse population, better horses for the cowboys down the street, better horses for the little girl that's going to go barrel race or pole bend or do any kind of versatility events. So it improves the whole industry. And there's still no better way, safer and, and easier on the cattle way to work cattle than horses. Can't work them on dirt bikes. Can't Dogs are too rough on them. They don't mind horses and they move away from them when you go toward them. And that's how you move them around. They're not stressed by it. Um, so I really wanted to, and that's one of the reasons I wrote Yellowstone because this whole way of life after that recession was crashing and all these generational ranches, and that sounds like this big rich term, but it's not. It's somebody 80 years ago, 90 years ago, bought a bunch of real cheap land that's pretty useless for anything but running cattle because if you could farm it, you would. And, uh, and they made a living selling cows. Not a lot of them. You don't make very good money at it. And the land values kept going up and up and up and up and up until when they died and their kids inherited it, they couldn't afford the taxes. So they have to sell it. So then some guy from Chicago who went skiing there a few years ago, man, I sure would love a place to go out in the weekend, break my family, go skiing. So it gets carved up and developed and gentrified. Hmm. And then they have that. Now, it's a free country, right? So who's to say the guy in Chicago can't or shouldn't be able to buy a place out in in Montana or Wyoming? Well, uh, no, he should. But I'm trying to encourage him to not carve it up. Mm. I'm not saying you have to run cattle out there, but how about you just go experience it? How about we preserve it? Because they ain't making any more. We have not figured out how to make more land, and we never will. And that feels like, yeah, I mean, an extension of your respect for this history, right? You, you, as a remarkable historian, to a certain extent, uh, of this world, and it's an incredibly exciting thing for me as a fan of Yellowstone, for you to explore that history very literally with 1883, to step into that history. So I'm getting a signal that I think we're out of time. Uh, thank you so, so, so much for doing this. It's an honor to, uh, as always, continue to learn from you. I'm incredibly grateful for for four and a half, five years of learning from you now. And I just, I, I can't thank you enough for uh, the many ways in which you've changed my life. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. I can't thank Taylor enough for stopping by today. That man's time is uh, very, very valuable. And I'm grateful for every second of it I get. Every time I talk to him, I learn so much. I look up to Taylor so much. I've been learning from him for years and uh, every minute with him is a masterclass. So I'm very, very grateful. I need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue to talk behind the scenes with executive producer David Glasser. CBS Friday and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Fire's coming to you! Don't miss TV's hottest show, Fire Country. This is a high-complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules, and you shave another day off your sentence. Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment. I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else. You're not an inmate. You're a firefighter. Bring it on. Fire Country. New episode Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS, and now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I feel 
so lucky, so humbled, so grateful to have today in the studio with me David Glasser. David Glasser is an executive producer of Yellowstone, of 1883, of a million other television <laughs> projects in the Taylor Sheridan universe and beyond. He's the CEO of 101 Studios. David, thank you so, so, so much for being here today. Thanks so much, my friend. Thanks for having me. It's such uh, an honor and a, simultaneously a terrifying pressure to interview your boss's boss's <laughs> boss's boss's boss. So <laughs> no, it's all good, man. I'm, I could not be more excited to be here, and so proud of everything you're doing. And uh, you know, this journey we've been on from the beginning has been incredible, man. And, and right back at you, I could not be more proud of you, man. Everything you're doing, the character, you know, everything you've taken us on, and in this show right here, you know, sitting here at the Wynn Hotel doing a podcast on a Saturday afternoon couldn't be a better day. I think it really speaks to something that I'm. I, I it sort of strikes me over and over again. And for folks listening who don't necessarily understand the role of a producer, a producer means a lot of different things in a lot of different situations, basically. So will you talk for just a second about your, and, and it, <laughs> it's hard to talk about because it means so many different things. And you particularly, more than anybody I've ever known, fill a lot of different roles under a lot of different circumstances. We just talk a little bit about your role in all of this? Yeah, you know, it's, it's look, it's an incredible um, and very humbling opportunity to get. Cause when you have a creator like Taylor Sheridan, he's a big picture visionary, right? He's got this huge idea. He's got this incredible cast. And then my job is to make sure that we execute upon that, right? So it's everything that goes into it from making sure that we stay on budget, we get our locations, we get things done, you know, the sort of relationship with the network and sort of just spinning plates and managing it all. So at the end of the day, what everybody gets to see this incredible number one show now comes with sort of being part of this team. And it's, it's really a team effort, right? It's, it, it, it takes a village to do what we do. And it doesn't matter whether you're at the top of the food chain or a PI, PA on our set. You know, you've been there. And working on a Taylor Sheridan show, it's not about I, it's about we. And it's not about me. And it's about how do we do things as a team. And that's the really, I think, the great thing. And so I'm super lucky to be part of that. And as you know, every time we get one of these scripts, it's like, you know, the greatest day of my life. It's like I'm, I'm working on some of the greatest material I've ever read. When, as you described, so much of it is a team effort. It's about an ensemble of collaborators. And, and one of your roles particularly is assembling that team, is taking these elements, these elements that can seem sometimes almost irreconcilably far apart, right? The world of cowboying, all these horses, right? Like putting together all of these cows, these cattle with these helicopters, with these legendary actors, with yeah. these incredible technicians in our camera department. It feels like one of the unique challenges of Yellowstone is assembling a lot of different elements that don't traditionally fit together. And, and it feels like part of part of the people's response to Yellowstone is about these things, is seeing these 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 elements combined on television for the first time on a scale that, that wasn't possible until you started doing it. Well, look, that's the exciting part about it. You know, as a producer, you get to do different things, right? You almost get to make yourself up as a completely different person as you sort of go forward. Um, you know, it was a world that I didn't know. Uh, and with Taylor Sheridan, as you know, you get a very quick education on what to do, what not to do, and where are the pitfalls. You know, he is the expert when it comes to the cows, the cattle. My job is to make sure that everything is getting there, gets done when it is. But listen, I've uh, 
I've, I've learned the world. I've learned the, to actually respect the world at the highest level because it's truly incredible. Um, I love our Wranglers and our Cowboys and the people that I've met both on the show and off the show. And even in one late night, maybe slightly drinky night uh, with Taylor, I ended up buying a cutting horse, which we now own. Um, <laughs> uh, so we now own a cutting horse. And I think, um, you know, it was great because we made it to Futurity on the first time. So it was like, it was great because I really thought I actually knew what I was doing. Um, but it was a little bit of luck. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's one of those things where I think as you sort of, you know, as you know, you get into a new world like this, it's all brand new. And so I think sort of watching Taylor's lead and following it and sort of figuring out, okay, what does he need? How are we going to do it? And how are we going to execute what he wants? And that's the job, right? And we've learned so much. Now we're, now, you know, not everybody is a, uh, is a cutting champion like you, my friend, <laughs> after uh, last week at the, uh, at the charity event. So, you know, don't, don't worry. We all know where you're going in your cutting career. I, I thank you so much. You were contractually obligated to mention that. And I thank you for <laughs> obliging that, that contract. Well, uh, as, the Sheridan, as I talk, Sheridans will be very happy. <laughs> as, as I, as I talk to all the different actors and sort of crew involved in these shows, something that comes up over and over again is the immersive quality, not just of the content itself, not just of the show, but also the experience of working on the show, working on these shows means being fully immersed in a world that is new to a lot of us, right? If for, for us, it means being in Montana. It means being in West Texas, uh, being in West Texas, being surrounded by the, the world, even as you create it. So will you speak about your experience also of, of traveling with yeah. these shows, of, of really being immersed in these worlds? Look, I think, you know, starting with Cowboy Camp, that most people, when I explain what Cowboy Camp is, it's sort of Taylor's version of, you know, leaving the city behind, getting out there and sort of being one with the world so you really understand it for you as an actor, but even for us producers and partners on the show, so sort of everybody can sort of do what they can. But I think the experience is part of what I think makes the show what it is. We're all out there, right? On, on, on Yellowstone, we're out on that ranch or in those fields, you know, deep in those fields on a daily basis, working together. You know, we're not in, we're not on a stage somewhere, you know, very, very little of that. And on 1883, that journey was, was, was something that was, um, uh, was definitely something I don't think I was ready for. Um, I think even for Taylor, he was ready for it. He warned us what it was going to be, but taking a wagon train in the 1800 show with 30 wagon trains across America is pretty spectacular. And there's no cover sets. We maybe had a few days of cover sets and a cover set is a place you can go to when it rains, when it snows, when it's 98 degrees outside. Once we got outside of Fort Worth, that was it. We were open to everything. And so in a way, it sort of felt like you were connected to maybe what people went through at that time. And they had such a harsher journey than we had, you know, crossing rivers, surviving to sort of make something better for your family. So in a weird way, you had a moment to sort of think and go, wow, this is, we're sort of out in the open here, just trying to figure it all out. Yeah, it's, I think that a lot of what people respond to, what I respond to when I see the show, especially as I watch 1883, is this incredible feeling of authenticity that can't help it's a part of the product because it's a part of the process. It really, the, the process of making the show mirrors the experience yeah. that you're depicting on the show. You're taking a bunch of people from all over the world, incredible people with varied and diverse skill sets and backgrounds, many of them who have never set foot in West Texas before, and then many of them who have, who grew up there and who are experts in this world. 
and you're cooperating together yeah. on this journey yeah. that lasts for months and months and is arduous and taxing and difficult. And that that bleeds into every frame of the show. Yeah. yeah, and I think that was the incredible part. And I think you really, you and your character symbolized it last year with the journey to the four sixes, you know, one of the most authentic storied ranches in the world since the 1800s. I mean, you know, and the way Taylor sort of blended that into our sort of not real ranch world of Yellowstone, which is, you know, real world for TV and sort of taking Jimmy's character to one of the most authentic ranches in, in America. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, there, there are those of us, and, and one of the incredible gifts of the show is that for every actor from Los Angeles, there's a cowboy from New Mexico. And for every, you know, rancher from Montana, <laughs> there's a, a, you know, a stunt coordinator from, from the East Coast. You know, there's a sort of incredible combination. And one of the tremendous gifts of our show has been watching so many people run at these new challenges, these challenges that are, that are, utterly unique, kind of over and over again, with tremendous respect for the material, with a tremendous sort of trust and commitment to each other. Because part of what you described earlier, putting this team together, you guys are now, you've made and you are making shows with this core group of collaborators from different backgrounds, different skill sets, who have grown to trust each other over time. How do you, over and over again, this is just just as a as a fan of your work of Taylor's work you attract the best actors in the world like it's amazing for me my favorite actors who I've followed since I was a kid Billy Bob Thornton Aidan Gillen obviously Sam Elliott obviously Kevin Costner the most a combination of the most interesting and sort of storied actors it's amazing they trust you and when they when they join this kind of project, they're putting a lot of faith in you. Yeah. Look, I think, look, everything at the end of the day, and you know this uh, being the incredible actor that you are, it all starts with the material, right? Material is the basis for everything. If you're going to build a house, it's your foundation. It's everything, right? What you do inside of it, whether that's, um, you know, whether that is, um, you know, a, a different type of counter or marble or granite, whatever you do inside the house to sort of build it is something that you do in what you do. And so I think always everything starts with the material, and with Taylor's material, it is something, as you know, it attracts incredible different people who want to come work on it. And also you have this incredible time with Taylor. Be like, I was thinking about um, Billy Bob Thornton for that role. And I'm like, all right, let me call his manager. And like you send over and he goes, yes. Or you go like, I'm thinking about Tom Hanks for that role. And you like call Tom and he like reads it and goes, okay. You know, it's like unbelievable. Like, so I think it's, it's, it's his material. I have to give the credit rightfully due. It's like his material is just something that everybody wants to come play a day, two days, five days, and to be part of. I mean, that's probably one of the most exciting things for me because when he wrote the role, he's like, uh, I think I want Sam Elliott. And I'm like, yeah, okay, well, I'd score major points in my house with my wife if we had Sam Elliott, but <laughs> I would love to work with Sam Elliott. And then, you know, Sam reads it and is like, yes, so... I think his material is something that's fresh, it's original, it's different, and it's a world we don't get to see every day. Mm. And it, it has the gift of, and I think you guys balance this so remarkably well, combining the, these actors, you know, one, one of the themes of a lot of Taylor's work is the, the American West and the sort of myth of the American West, the yeah. legend of the American West, coming into confrontation with the reality, the harsh truth of the American West. 
You know, the, the myth and reality colliding into each other. When I look at the cast of 1883, Sam Elliott, of course, American legend, a myth unto himself, and then young actors, right? And combining Sam Elliott's experience, expertise, a lifetime in the West with Isabel May, yeah. right? A, an actor new to this world who brings something utterly distinct and unique to it because she's new to it. Right. So will you talk a little bit about, about discovering new talent yeah. or, or bringing on young actors into these projects? Look, that's always the thing, right? And Taylor and I have that conversation always. He sort of feels if he's going to bring some to the table, whether it's um, Isabel May or Emma Laird or people that he's sort of discovering, he'll see somebody, you know, like he did with Isabel. He hadn't really figured out and shaped the role yet. He knew what it was going to be. But the minute he saw her, he knew she was the one. She was the one who was going to tell this story. And he was going to sort of turn the traditional Western on its head a little bit um, with this sort of point of view through an 18-year-old's eyes, you know, going through sort of just becoming a woman and sort of finding herself as well as trying to protect her family. So I think the interesting thing about it is, is you know, because of his sort of background in being an actor, um, he sort of finds this way and we'll sort of have a conversation about finding somebody fresh and new that we don't know yet and that we get to sort of experience things. And I think when you watch Isabel, I even feel even five and 10 times seeing a cut of something, I'm sort of discovering it with her. I don't know her. I mean, I know her personally, but I, I don't know her as her character. I'm sort of sold on who she is and what she's going to be. And I'm sort of following her on our journey. If she's feeling pain, I'm sort of feeling a little bit too. If she's feeling laughter, I'm feeling that. So I think that's the great part about it, right? You know, you and Jimmy, I, I remember when we were looking early on um, at reading for it and you sort of, I'll never forget the sort of reading you did in the chair, if you remember it. And, you know, the minute Taylor saw it, he was like, that guy, he's, he's got what I'm looking for. And sometimes I don't always get it, but Taylor sort of has this, this way he knows. He can look in sort of the eyes the face, the sort of character. And he knows that that's who I want Jimmy to be or that's who I want this character to be. That's a talent. You know, at that point, it becomes much easier because I think then audiences get to discover somebody new and mm. be part of like discovering them. Yeah, and it's a real, it's a real gift. And I, it, on the opposite side of the spectrum, it's the same gift. It's saying, who could possibly fill the roles of these walking legends, right? Kevin Costner and John Dutton feel so synonymous in many ways. It's hard to conceive of anybody else playing that role because the character is himself a legend. He's a legend who carries a tremendous weight on his shoulders that everybody respects and has a sort of wary kind of relationship to. And that couldn't be anybody but Kevin. And I think that's on the opposite side of the spectrum, the incredible gift of, of, of excellent casting. Um, I, I can't help but sort of like glean a, a worldview from a lot of Taylor's work. Cause, and, and I think it relates in a lot of ways to those, that juxtaposition, right? The extremity, there's the, the beauty, sort of big scale, epic, the, the incredible action sequences. And then there's this incredible human, simple, quiet intimacy. And Taylor himself ha has an incredibly holistic approach to filmmaking. He's an amazing actor. He's an amazing writer. He's an amazing director. He knows everything about the camera department. He knows, you know, he saddles horses, rides. Like, he, he sort of does all of this. Will you talk about, as you produce Taylor's projects, as you're on set for Taylor's projects, what you carry from those projects into the other stuff you're working on? 
Look, I think it's a discipline. I really think. I think he brings, you know, the the cowboy world is about discipline, right? If you sort of think about where he came from and where he grew up and sort of what he has done his whole life, right? It's 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 hard work. You're up early. Nobody's complaining. You're doing your thing um, and you're getting it done, right? Because if you don't get it done, then you're letting other people down. And I think I've taken that with me in my sort of journey with him and sort of his his ability is it's not about no or yes. It's about getting it done. And I think that's what I take with me in my in my lesson with him of like when he wants something or he wants a certain um, a certain thing, my job is to get it done, is to figure out how to get it done for him because that's the way of the way he sort of understands. Um, and, and our world sometimes in, in, in the Hollywood business is not always like that, right? It's always about trying to figure out, you know, what we can do. So it's that management of sort of knowing exactly what he wants and getting it done. And I think that discipline has, has stayed with me, um, because you're sort of out there with him and you're doing on his terms and his terms are, as you said, very smart. He knows what he wants. He understands it better than anybody. So I'm never going to argue with him. So I just have to figure out how to get it done. Mm. I also think he he carries something with him. You know, there's there's a lot of language, a very sort of poetic, lyrical language, both in Yellowstone and in 1883, about the the radical inefficiency of this lifestyle in some ways, like cattle ranching in Montana. In Yellowstone, over and over again, it's revealed this is not the most profitable way to manage this <laughs> land. Right. It's not about numbers. It's not about necessarily profit. It's not about progress by any like demonstrable, quantifiable metric. Part of it is just a labor of love. It's about yeah. tradition and a labor of love. And I also can't help but apply that same idea to filmmaking. Like filmmaking is far from the most efficient way in the world to make money, right? It's a kind of radically inefficient yeah, way. Exactly. It's a labor of love, you know? It's it's imagination and it's sort of storytelling and it's it's foundational i think to to, to people to, to share our stories but it's also hilariously inefficient in yeah. so many ways i mean our business sometimes doesn't make sense i mean as i sit here today with maybe my cfo and my partner in the room we'd like to say it makes us a ton of money that's the way we always <laughs> go into it i'm a little crazier you know sometimes with wanting to do something because it's super passion and stuff but you got to find that happy meeting it's not an easy business and i don't think anything that taylor goes into or we go into is like this is going to be a home run it's going to be the biggest show on tv now we go into it because we think it's going to be something that we'll all really be really proud of we don't know how its audiences are going to take it we don't know if people are going to watch it um, and I think that's the incredible thing also of having a partner like, you know, Viacom and Paramount Plus and the Paramount Channel, you know, they sort of have a belief. I mean, they bought Yellowstone off of reading one script in the room on a handshake with Taylor and I. And that takes commitment, right? That takes vision. They had no idea that it was going to be the behemoth that it is today. So I think you have to have a lot of people believing in what you want to do to sort of get to make something happen the way you want. The actors have to sign up. The network has to sign up. We have to all sign up. And then we all kind of come into it. And then we wait to see what happens. I mean, I was reading an article one time. I can't remember what it was. They, they analyzed all these jobs. Dentist, if you do X plus Y equals, you know, Z. And all these jobs. And the one job they never could figure out was the movie and TV business. And it just makes total sense. Like anything can happen. Uh, anything can really work. And anything can't. Um, so I think we're very fortunate, all of us, you know, with you and Taylor to sort of have this incredible sort of everybody that does everything. I mean, we all know each other, right? We've all become this big family. And I think that's something really special. I think also for Taylor, he never set out 
to make TV. His whole thing at the end of the day, he always said to me is, I don't, I don't want to do TV. I want to make 10 hour movies. Mm. So let's go make a 10 hour movie. If we can do that, I'll do it. Otherwise I don't want to do this. Mm. I said, okay, let me think about that for a minute. And so we had to go into that without thinking. Everything that Taylor does is a 10 hour movie. He wants it to be beautiful. He wants it to be strong. He wants it to be powerful. And what he wants it to be is authentic. Bumps and bruises and all. You know, his new show, uh, Mayor of Kingstown with Jeremy Renner, is sort of portrait of prison life in this town. Um, but it's with bumps and bruises and all. It's raw. And it's not going to be for everybody. But it is a great show because Taylor doesn't hold back on being as authentic and real as he can be. Mm. And that's the only way he knows. He doesn't know any other way. Like, and he's not going to, someone's not going to take a note and say, um, dear Taylor, uh, I think you should change that scene to this because it'll be better for, you know, when we go ahead and play this in some foreign territory. No, it's, this is what you get. And he's serving up on a platter. And I think that's what makes him who he is. It really, it's, it's brutally honest. Yeah. And working, you know, as, as you said, all of this stuff represents a lot of trust. It represents a sort of collaborative agreement to take a risk and that trickles down throughout our entire cast, our entire crew. That trickles down, I think, from you and Taylor. You guys inspire hundreds of people to work their hardest, to believe in what you believe in. And I guess I, I, I just, as the last thing I say as we, as we run out of time here, because I'm so, <laughs> so grateful for your time. Thank you. Is particularly shooting season four of Yellowstone, to me, felt a little bit like it was uncharted territory. It was during the pandemic. It was the summer of 2020. Yeah. All of us left our homes, our families yeah. on the strength of this trust. We, we all took that risk together. Yeah. And it was, a, it was both things. It was both a risk that we were taking. It was dangerous and difficult to leave our families behind. But it was also the, you, you put back, you put 600 people back to work. More than that. You guys took that weight upon yourselves. You protected the family that you had built for four years and you put 600 plus people back to work at an incredibly uncertain and difficult time. And I, I for one, know that I'll never forget it. You, you, put, you, you brought us all back to work and you took care of us. You protected us. And you saw us from, from one side of that journey to the other, you know? No, I, look, I appreciate that. And I remember having the conversation with Taylor and we're sort of, it was right in the height of COVID. And he had written the scripts and we're sort of scratching our head what to do. And we're getting calls from crew. My unemployment's running out or this happening or I can't pay my bills. Or we sort of thought about it and said, well, we're shooting in Montana. We could go into a bubble and really protect ourselves and put ourselves back to work. And I said, what do you want to do? And without even a blink of an eye, Taylor said, we're going back to work. That's what we're going to do. And I said, all right, let's figure it out. And we went back and we went into that bubble. And where I really saw it was we're all working really hard and nobody could do anything. Nobody go to restaurants. We had to all eat together and live together on the ranch or really close housing. And then on those Saturdays and Sundays was interesting. All of us would grab a, a picnic blanket or something and just sit out on the ranch and, and talk and talk about our families and talk about who we're missing and what we're doing. But there was something really beauty in the ability for everybody to sort of be together and that season for me, actually, funny enough that you say that, um, was really special. And I'm and to see the ratings the way they are today is is just even more because for those of us that all worked on that season in the middle of COVID, we had everybody 
you know, friends getting sick and people getting sick on the crew. And, you know, we did a pretty incredible job in protecting ourselves, but also sending everybody home with, you know, they're sort of feeling back that I'm, 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 I'm okay. And, and this is going to be okay. And we're going to get through it. So it really holds a special place in my heart. And, um, and I think, um, audiences have embraced that season, which makes it even, even more special. So, you know, love and spending time with you today. And, and thank you for everything. Um, for the fans out there that don't know you, you put your heart and soul into the show for us. Um, you're always, you know, there as early as can be and as late as can be without a word to say, I remember us down at the four sixes and, and hanging out down there. So we, uh, we all appreciate it. And I know Taylor does, and I do network and all of us at one to one appreciate everything you do for us. Thank you so much, David. And thank you so, so, so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thank Cheers. you. Thank, thank you, you, pal. Once again, a special thanks to you, the Yellowstone family. Obviously, none of this would be possible without you. So thank you so, so, so much for tuning in. We're going to drop new episodes every Thursday. So make sure to subscribe and tune in to the official Yellowstone podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. The official Yellowstone podcast is hosted by me, Jefferson White, and produced by 101 Podcast Studios and Paramount Network. CBS Friday and streaming on Paramount Plus. Cal Fire's coming to you! TV's hottest show, Fire Country. This is a high-complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules. Can you shave another day off your sentence? Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment. I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else. You're not an inmate. You're a firefighter. Bring it on. Fire Country. New episode Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.